Welcome to This Crip Life, a place where you can meet disabled people and learn about the things that affect them. This is an Asheville FM podcast produced by DIY Able. This is Priya Ray from DIY Abled, and welcome to This Crip Life. Uh, today, I'm here with Vicki Young. Say hi, Vicki. Hi. And we're going to talk about universal design. Um, so I'm going to start first and uh, explain what the idea of universal design is. Uh, universal design was a, con- was a concept created in architecture one of the first people to talk about it was Ronald Mace and Selvin Goldsmith. And um, it, it was around 1963. Ronald Mace uh, kind of talked about this concept of design uh, where all products and environments were to be aesthetically pleasing, but more importantly, make them usable by everyone, whether they were disabled, non-disabled, old, young, short, tall, etc. cetera. Um, Then in 1963, Selwyn Goldsmith wrote a book called Designing for Disabled. And um, he was also well known for creating the dropped curb cut, um, which is like an excellent example of universal design. Um, For those of you that don't know, haven't noticed that um, in cities when you're walking down sidewalks, when you see the end of the sidewalk kind of turn into a ramped area. That's basically a dropped curb cut. And that's part of universal design because it helps everyone be able to use the sidewalks. So some of the things that um, are examples, other things that are examples of universal design are um, curb cuts and ramps, of course, uh, color, co- color contrasted dishware um, with steep sides uh, for people that have low vision or maybe blind or have some neurodiversity or have dexterity issues. And uh, then you have pull down cabinets that are actually good for short people and people in wheelchairs and uh, counters that are different sizes, also good for short people and people in wheelchairs. And then, you know, one of my final examples, but probably not the last one ever, uh, public transportation, where they lower the floors of buses and the buses actually kneel, which means it goes down lower so a ramp can come out so a person in a wheelchair can enter the bus and use public transportation. So those are some examples for, Uh, universal design. Um, And so that was all through the 60s and 70s. But then in the 90s, they came up with this concept of universal design in learning. And Vicky knows a lot more about this than I do, but I will explain what that is. So the concept of uh, universal design and learning is uh, creating a framework that includes people that have cognitive issues, neurodiversity, and basically accommodates individuals' learning differences. And that's what the concept is. But like everything else in the world, we have a concept that is meant to do good, 
but there are some flaws in the universal design of learning that Vicky knows a lot more about. So I'm going to let her talk about that. I mean, Vicky likes to make fun of a lot more. <laughs> yeah, Vicky also is very critical of it, but her critic her criticism is valid in my opinion. Go yeah. ahead. <laughs> so universal learning is meant to allow for multiple means of representation. So accommodate different learning styles. We've all heard of like the, oh, you're a visual learner, you're an auditory learner, you're a kinesthetic learner. Those are all BS, also fun fact, but that's how this, you know, universal design encourages teachers to use those three kind of types of learning or a mixture of those. Um, universal design for learning also wants to have options for multiple means of expression. So instead of just doing oral presentations at the end of the semester, you know, you can take a written exam or do a group presentation or do like a single one-on-one -on -one presentation, um, allowing students different ways to showcase their abilities and not be put at a theoretical disadvantage by um, not having something accessible to them. And I say that in quotes, because if you're non-disabled, everything is accessible to you. Um, and <laughs> multiple means of engagement, which ties back into your um, learning styles, that there's different ways for students to learn. And also that you're looking at what are the, what are your students interested in? How can you challenge them? How can you motivate them to learn? And it looks at uh, examining your curriculum's instructional goals, methods, materials, and assessments. It's meant to reduce physical, cognitive, intellectual, and organizational barriers to learning and other obstacles, but like, it doesn't actually prevent discrimination. Like you can be in a universal design learning program and your teacher's still racist or ableist or just hates you because you're annoying. And universal design learning does not address, what do we do when the teacher hates a 12 year old for absolutely no reason other than they're bored, I guess, or they woke up and chose violence and wanted to hate a student that day. Um, but one of the main things that I get annoyed about with universal design with learning is that when it comes to assessment, the one of the main, I guess, proponents of assessment universal design for learning is allowing students to like retake their exams, redo their projects until they're able to fully like showcase their skill set. And while that might be a great option in, you know, kindergarten, first, second grade, maybe all of K through six, uh, before you start getting into that upper classes where those are going to be, I guess, learned habits. So if all through high school, and then if this, if universal design applies in universities as well, you're learning that your tests can be redone, that you always have a second chance, you always have a third chance, you always have a fourth chance. Except that's not how the real world works, unless you're a cop. You can screw up your job as many times as you want, and oopsies, you get a do-over, and a do-over <laughs> after that, and do-over after that. But for everyone else who's not a cop in the U.S., you don't always get do-overs you know if you're a lawyer and you screw up in court because you know you're unprepared you're too high on cocaine that day you're not feeling you know you're not putting your best foot forward 
whatever the reason is that you're not on the top of your game, um, if you screw up, your client suffers the consequences. I mean, you might professionally suffer the consequences depending on how badly you messed up in court or, you know, even if you ended up um, being held in contempt of court or you, pra you practice malpractice while you're in the trial. Like there are consequences for not getting it right on the first try in the real world. Same with, you know, like doctors, even though they, ha they have a little bit more leeway, but if you go into a doctor's office and you're like, hey, my throat is really swollen and they diagnose you with like a broken ankle, you probably aren't getting a second chance at that if they feel the need to sue you or report you like that that's going to backfire on you but universal design and learning really hones that in that you know if it wasn't your best work we're going to look into why it wasn't your best work and then we're also going to give you a second shot at it like i said like that's just not something that's realistic in the yeah world. or like or an accountant doing taxes too like if you make a mistake on someone's taxes and then they get fined you can't do or arrest it depending on how bad you messed up yep yeah you don't get a second chance at things like that i understand why the universal design of learning is there to help people i mean i think for learning disabilities that's like a great thing but and when we first talked about that, I was, I was kind of thinking about what you were saying to me. And I was like, you know, like non-disabled people, there's just certain things, skill sets or whatever you want to refer to that they're just not good at. But if they don't, you know, like, let's say they're not good at math. Um, they don't get to retake that math test over and over again. They just are like, I'm not good at math. So I'm going to focus more on writing or some other thing yep. and then they end up doing their job or whatever in that field so like when you were telling me about this universal design I almost feel like when we do have someone with a cognitive issue or some sort of neurodiversity that's preventing them to learn the way everybody does I think it should also come with some sort of guidance of directing them to something that they are good at and can have a career in, you know, so. And with I, universal design, it's hard to move forward if you haven't like passed the skills properly. So like, I suck at science, like every single science. There's, you could try and teach me biology or physics in any way you want to do. Like you can go through every single type, just auditory lessons, verbal, uh, like hands-on lessons, visual lessons. You can try and teach the, um, try to change up the assessment methods, the teaching methods, but there is nothing you can do to overcome the fact that A, I don't wanna learn these things and B, they're difficult for me to learn. There's no way for you to explain 2D motion to me in a way that makes sense at all. Like. My um, high school physics teacher actually let me retake my physics tests kind of endlessly uh, for, I don't know why at all, but he did. And I still cheated on all of them and I still failed all of them. So <laughs> like- <laughs> You cheated and failed them. <laughs> yeah, so like, <laughs> and I had like physics tutoring. I had to come in in the morning every single day before first period, 
had to go meet with him. I had to come in on one of my free periods to sit in on another physics class and learn. And then I had my actual physics class. And then I had to stay after school to do my homework with my physics teacher. So I was having like four physics lessons a day. Do you want to know how much I retained? Absolutely nothing other than you can fill a bucket with water and spin it upside down because centripetal force exists. But ask me anything else, I, I don't know. I know 2D motion is just something that goes like that, which is how my GPA went when I was in physics class. <laughs> but like- And Vicky is showing her hand, <laughs> die, going really low down. Her, her GPA went really down bad. to the ground because of that physics class. So, yeah, so um, I, I, I just feel with the disability community, while I do feel like we do need like this assistance to get our independence in the world, I also feel it plays into this idea of getting special treatment. And yeah. that's not really what the ADA or any of that is about. It's about giving us equal treatment, not special treatment. So... And I do feel like a lot of the universal design, like just make letting the people that are disabled that just can't get something, taking it and taking and taking it till they get the grade that they're required to get. It's not helping their independence. It's actually deterring their independence because they think when they go out into the world, they're going to be able to like, you know, if they're working at a sandwich shop, they're going to be able to make a sandwich 50 million times till they get it right. And obviously that's not going to happen. So I mean, you could just, the customer's going to get really pissed at you. <laughs> if you go, Oh, I messed up. Let me start over. Oh, I messed up again. Let me start. Like, it's just, yeah, you could do it in, you know, fast food settings, restaurant settings, but there are consequences for your actions in the real world when you don't get something right. Whether it's somebody yells at you, you get fired, someone stabs you, someone arrests you. Like there are so many different consequences for your actions in the real world that while some principles of universal design are really great options, like being able to choose the medium that works best for you. Like I'm a really big pen and paper person. If you want me to take notes on my computer, no, I'm not retaining a single thing, but with universal design, I could opt to take that test online or I could opt to take it on paper. Some students are gonna do better on the computer because that's how their brain works while others are gonna do um, it on paper because that's how their brain works. And that translates really well over into the real world. You know, some lawyers, do all of their work, they have an iPad or a tablet that they go to court with and they use that. Others have, you know, the legal pads um, with them at all times, you know, with everybody's information, Jay chilling on that first page. But that's something that, yeah, universal design, once you know what works for you the best, you can take that into the real world, knowing that, okay, well, in the real world, yeah, I can choose how I want to do take notes for a case or, you know, if I really want to just have 600 post-it notes everywhere, you can do that. But universal design doesn't exactly apply to every single situation. And it's more something that end of the day benefits non-disabled students than disabled students. Because oftentimes schools that implement universal design programs 
don't often have a, a strong disability department in general that can lead that and say, okay, this is how we apply this to make sure all of our disabled students are included, make sure that their access needs are met, and at the same time, ensure that your teachers, because disabled teachers exist, that their access needs are met as well. And with universal design, it really pretends that disabled teachers do not exist or that multiply disabled students exist or that two disabled students in the class are gonna have different um, access needs. So one of the cool things with um, universal design is it encourages um, multiple languages in the classroom. So if you have a student who's deaf and needs sign language, universal design's like, okay, put an interpreter in that room, which great, we should probably be doing that anyway. But if you have, let's say that um, deaf student and then you have another student who has ADD or ADHD, seeing someone do sign language, regardless of where it's at in the class, they're gonna be like, ooh, someone's hand, ooh, ooh. And that's not going to help. Like that's gonna be a detriment to your ADHD student. And it could be a distraction for other students in the room as well. For me, one of my access needs, I can't do bright lights. Like if I'm in a classroom, you really need to turn the lights off. Like because I'm going to be screwed. It's too bright in there for me. But for students with low vision, they're going to need those bright lights on so they can see. And universal design's like, oh, we don't have a solution to that. But screw the disabled kid whose access needs can't be met or that has to be moved to another classroom because of that or who has to have their scheduling stuff changed just because universal design doesn't have a solution for that. Yeah, so... I, I, I just wonder what would be a solution for that, because I do feel like, you know, if you're going to incorporate universal design into, let's just say high school into a high school, then I feel like you're going to have to have, like, you know, I wasn't disabled as a going to high school. So I had a counselor. My counselor was like, okay, these are, the, these are the colleges you can go to. Oh. This is what you're doing good in. So you should probably go to this or this or that. So I just feel like there should be something like that for um, people that need the, need the assistance of universal design to kind of guide them of, okay, well, you're doing good in this. You already took the this physics test three times maybe physics isn't your thing maybe we'll just forget about physics and move yeah. in a different direction and and that, that's okay and i think like the whole universal design concept also comes from people be out of people being afraid to insult a person that's disabled instead of being treating them like a person like any other person that has strengths and weaknesses you have to acknowledge them and kind of guide them in a way where they can become a successful person because of the guidance they're getting so and universal design can only solve so many problems so no matter how much universal design my school had when I was in like elementary school my biggest problem was I was in pain 24 seven. So I wasn't paying attention in school because everything in my body hurt and I couldn't really hold a pencil. So right. you have a kid who's distracted the entire day of school and can't hold a pencil in the early 2000s when technology isn't 
you know, super helpful at this time. You know, not every kid had iPads back then. Um, there's not a whole lot universal design can do for me. Like they can't, no matter how much they try to motivate me to learn, the universal design can't take away my distractions. For students who are getting abused at home and school is that only safe place, universal design doesn't have a solution for that. That's not, oh, let's just call the cops. Let's child protective services. Right, like right. it doesn't offer any, you know, solutions for some of the major things that are affecting students, you know, feeding your students isn't part of universal design at all. There's no, there's nothing in it that says, oh, we have to help the kids. Just, we need to help them learn. But there's so much that else that goes into learning than just being motivated to learn and being able to meet the material, have the material presented in a way that makes sense to them. And then one of my personal beliefs about universal design is that it fails multiply dis disabled students like out of everybody. Um, because what do you do when a multiply disabled person has two conflicting access needs? So well, for me, as with arthritis and lupus, a possible accommodation is remote learning. You know, oh, well, if you can't get to class, just pull out your laptop, you know, do that. But with my brain stuff, I can't be on my laptop for too long. I have to manage my screen time. Otherwise, surprise, surprise, I'm not doing anything for like four months. So how do you handle that? And universal design is like, uh, uh, we don't have an option for that. Oh, you, you can have papers. It's like, okay, how are you getting those papers to me? Like, how are you delivering? How am I turning it back in? There's so many things that kind of get missed with that when you have multiply disabled students in the classroom or even multiply disabled teachers, let alone a disabled teacher. Um, I do remember having one teacher with low vision, like my entire K through 12 and uh, uni career. I've had one teacher that was in some regard disabled. She said she didn't meet the standards for blindness but she's like, I can't use a computer at all because I can't read it. And we're like, okay, cool. So now that we're in a super digital age with teaching, what's universal design solution for her? Like, right, right. what are you gonna do? Tell her, oh, you, ha you have to, you know, do everything on pen and paper again, especially since now a lot of grading things are being done online. You have those parent portal options. And my, she was my geometry teacher. She had to like have a student do all of the like grade uploading to the um, parent portal because she was like, I can't even use a computer. She had like a smart board in her room, but she never used it because she couldn't read anything that was on it to begin with, let alone turn the computer on and use the computer to pull up her lesson. So we did like everything on a whiteboard, which now in... 2021 I don't know how much that would fly with a lot of schools that are like oh you guys got to do everything online everything's got to be on a macbook or ipad or whatever it is right right um but yeah it it really lets down disabled people while also giving non-disabled students a bit more preference because their issues can be solved through universal design 
Like, unless you're real, and it also doesn't address those students who really have no desire to be in school to begin with. Mm -hmm. Like, we all have that group in our high school or our middle schools or wherever that we call like the burnouts or the druggies, someone, some category like that. The freaks, whatever. (laughs) Yeah, like, they don't want to be in school. No motivation is going to work on them. They just want to do whatever they're doing in school. <laughs> they're really just there because they don't want to go to prison and they don't want their parents to report them for truancy. So like universal design, what's it going to do? Be like, oh guys, you should really care about trigonometry. And they're going to be like, no, nah, I'm good. Like they, you can't motivate someone to learn if they don't want to be motivated to learn. You can investigate their lives all you want and be like, oh yeah, you're from a broken family or like, oh, you have a learning disability and you're addicted to meth and you're 14, cool. But like, you can't help them. You can't do anything with them unless they truly want to learn, unless they truly want to maybe stop smoking meth, um, unless they actually want to do the things you're asking them to do. Like, they're not gonna do them. And universal design solution is just keep trying and you can try all you want, but if someone doesn't want to do something to do it, like if someone doesn't want to do something, you can't make them do it. Which applies to disabled people too. Um, If a disabled person doesn't want to do math or science or literature or whatever it is, it's not their, sometimes it's not their disability that's keeping them from doing it. It's just them not wanting to do it. So Yeah. um, So, yeah, I feel like we come up with these concepts, especially with the education stuff, and we're not thinking it all the way through. And so, yeah, we need to revamp our education system. (laughs) We need to revamp the education system. and Burn it all down. Burn it all down, start it over. But no, seriously, like, I mean, how great would it be for high school to have like a whole uh, counseling department for the kids with disabilities that need accommodations and we make sure they get those accommodations and the caretakers that are helping them go to bathrooms and stuff will be reprimanded if they're not acting properly. You know, so there's all kinds of things going on with disabled kids in education that um, it's really kind of necessary to have like a disability department in schools to, you know, to really help these disabled people become successful in their lives if they want. So, you know. and Because like you can't, when you have large classrooms, right? Anytime you have more than two people, well, more than one student in a classroom, because you could have two students and they have different skills different like ability levels you have to take into consideration that not everyone in the room is going to be good at everything not everyone's going to have the same learning styles or interest and that's okay like there's nothing wrong if you're not good at something but universal design has this everybody has to be at least average on everything even if they don't want to be or they don't care to be, they're just really there because, you know, they got to do something with their time. Um, but it also doesn't take into consideration that some things you learn in school are a bit more abstract. You can't like, so if you're teaching 
oh, let's go astrophysics because you can't touch anything in that one. Um, you can't teach astrophysics hands-on. Like, you can't touch it. If you're talking nuclear physics, what are you going to do? Go on a field trip to a nuclear plant and split some atoms for your kinetic you learners? Watch the atoms no, split apart. <laughs> like, no one's going to let you do that. How do you make, you know, how do you make some of these fields that are not tangible actually, you know, be something that kids can play around with or learn? And that goes with, you know, anything. I don't know how you teach certain, you know, you can teach biology very hands-on, you know, cadavers exist for learning. You do like dissections right. on whatever animal your school chose, but like, you can't do that with everything. So, and universal design's like, oh, we don't have a solution for that. Like if you're learning neuroscience, no one's going to just be like, oh yeah, we'll let you split somebody's brain open and put them under an fMRI um, with like psychology. If you're learning like abnormal psychology, go around following people. You can't stalk people to see like, hey, what does PTSD look like in real time as you're learning these symptoms and the all that stuff. Like you just, you cannot make certain fields hands-on learning because it's not tangible or it's illegal to do it. Yeah. And then I, I kind of like, while you're talking about that, I'm, you know, cause I've been thinking about technology a lot and how it's kind of bridged the gap for disabled people to be able to be able to do things in the world that was not made for disabled people, obviously. Yeah. Um, so I like, like some of the, like the neurosciences and like, you know, and, and I'm an artist, so I'm like visually thinking. So like through VR and stuff, maybe you can get some hands on, but not for everything too. But, yeah. you know, some things like maybe like, you know, to see how the brain works, like you can create some sort of VR thing that would help, you know, someone that needs more hands on or visual training for things. And then you have the opposite. Some things are only hands on. Right, right. That you like most things in the medical field, if all you have walking in the door as a surgeon is theoretical and you've never once done surgery on anybody or anything, you've just studied theory, no one's gonna let you like touch a person. They're gonna be like, oh yeah, like if your doctor goes, oh yeah, I've never done this on somebody before, the patient is gonna have a like freak out right then yeah, and there. Yeah. And like with like law, you can't touch it. Yeah. You can't watch it. There's really and like- law in itself is abstract anyway. It's like there's laws and you're like, isn't this a law? I'd be like, yeah, but dot this, that, and the other. And so it's like, it's not, oh. it's not conducive to universal design. <laughs> like there's no, I, I don't think you can even do law hands. I'm like, yeah, you can- practice your litigation skills hands-on but there's no like really tangible way to like learn law that is related to like kinetic learning sure you could play weird games I guess but all of it you still have to learn like oh if you're matching with the supreme court case to the like outcome you're matching on a big board like you still had to have read or listened to that somewhere so you you only have really two options to learn law 
is either like read it or listen to it. And those are your two options. If you can't pass a law class after, you know, reading your books or paying attention in class, Universal Design's like, we don't have an option for you. So sorry. And like, if on the same route with like computer science, let's say, that's a pretty hands-on. Again, you could spend so much time doing theory and like, learning how to write code on paper, which defeats the whole purpose of being a programmer in the first place, because A, you don't know if your code actually does anything, and B, you're writing code on paper. You're not, you're not programming, you're doodling right, at that right. point. Like, you don't, you're not going to be able to like know unless, I don't know, you're like some coding god who never makes a mistake in their code ever, and it runs exactly on paper like it would in a program window um like if hands-on learning with computer science isn't going well for you universal designs like so sorry try again or, or something else <laughs> try something else yeah at, at that point it's like okay if you can't program because you just don't understand programming you can't change that about yourself like just Drop out, move on, never go back to yeah, it. Yeah, and so I'll bring it back again. And that is the same problem non-disabled people have. If they're not good at something, they just have to accept that they can't figure it out yep. and move on to something else. And there's nothing wrong with a disabled person having to do that either. And so I just yep. think because we, you know, there's this movement going on of disabled people should have rights to everything, which, you know, of course they should. But um, then, we, you know, we have to balance that out with the reality, the reality of the world. Yeah. And like the concept of universal design. OK, let's make education more accessible to everyone. That's a great concept. But also is it always the most realistic? Like when we talk about assessment, you know, you can choose what format you want your assessment in. So if you suck at oral presentations and you want to always take written tests, that's great in school. Dear God, don't become a lawyer. Cause like, what are you going to, what are you going to do when you get into trial? If you do have to go to trial, I mean, you have to talk to somebody right. in general in law. Like it's not a, I can just sit here and type all day. If you do that, you're probably a legislator, not a lawyer. Um, but you can just like tippy tap all day, but God forbid you a have to like talk to the other, like your opposing counsel. If you're so used to just, or just like written tests, written assessments. Well, now you have what's a, real world assessment and you're underprepared for that because you haven't spent you know your whole lifetime practicing in these multiple tests and you know there are some students who aren't disabled who just want to take the easy way out of classes and if you always have the option for let's say group presentations then you could we all know nobody does equal work in group presentations that's just like how those things work they could do the bare minimum the entire time. And then once they get into the real world, what, what are they going to do? Like they've been being passed through so often mm-hmm. because they are able to choose those assessments or they're able to choose to take their assessments like repeated times. It's kind of setting you up to fail in the real world because like 
it also doesn't really teach you how to like deal with failure either. That's not something that's part of universal design. You know, you have kids who are like, oh, I can fail and I'll be fine. Like I fail like 24 seven, it's kind of my whole personality. And like you learn by going through that, you learn how to cope with it. You learn how to prepare yourself better because you know, like, hey, I kind of got one shot at this, but also like, okay, if I do mess up and I don't get that second chance, how do I deal? You learn all of that through trial and error, like in a safe space, like in school where, you know, your actions really don't have consequences at that point, other than like, you know, oh, you got a C on your report card. I'm so sorry. Like, yeah, it doesn't really have any tangible effect on your life. So failing there, it's a great time to learn those coping skills. And universal design, that's not something that it focuses on. Yeah. And um, I think part of universal design should be coping skills because, you know, I, I talked to like, you know, and my mom was disabled with rheumatoid arthritis. And, um, um, I always think about that because, you know, it was at a time, you know, it was 19 in the 60s, 70s, 80s, like the ADA 504, nothing like that had happened yet. And she just had to figure it out. And I, I, it's really interesting to me to, to like meet disabled people before any of that law was around and just how they just, figured things out and a part of that was failure but it it actually made them stronger in life and um i you know i'm not into this pull yourself up by your bootstrap but fail every once in a while and learn from it you know so yeah i think there's something really important about failing and learning yeah and like learning in school you know learning how to motivate yourself and learning how, what things you need in the class, like you need to be successful. I think those are important things that um, universal design teaches in school of like, you know, you should figure out what motivates you. You should figure out how you learn. You're going to need those skills in the real world anyway. But at the same time, it does it in a very like infantilization on it of like, Oh, as long as you meet like these criteria. And there's also this idea that we have to continually challenge ourselves in the classroom. And like, I'm not a fan of challenges. Like if I have to do it, I will, but I don't necessarily want to do it. Like I'll, I'll take the challenge in psychology and criminology in my own fields, because I know a, I'm like going to be prepared for that and B, I can handle it. But like, if you're like, hey, let's, oh, you passed pre-calc. Amazing. Let's put you in calc one. I want to be like, kill me. (laughs) No, I'm good. (laughs) Like, This doesn't need to get harder. I did um, calculus uh, AP calc in high school. And like, once we finished the AP test, they teach you calc three. And I was like, I didn't need calculus to get any harder than it already was for me. I got great at making paper airplanes because I had no clue what was going on in class. I did not want the challenge. I didn't even want to be there in the first place. But there I was being forced to learn calc three and like, there's nothing you could have done to make me stop making paper airplanes and throwing them across the classroom. There's no motivation you have. I don't care. I don't want that challenge. That's something that in a UDL class, they'd be like, 
no, you have to, you have to take the challenge. Like you're good at this. You need to move up to the next level. And I'm like, I'm good not doing that. Yeah. And then it's almost like the UDL, UDL meaning universal design learning in case we didn't express that. Uh, what is that? An ant? acronym Acronym. an acronym yep udl learning model is like it's not really helping disabled kids become independent it's not helping them become independent thinkers and kind of looking at themselves and assessing like okay this is what i can do this is what i can't do and that's okay it's okay that i can't do this but i can do this so maybe i should find something where I can use that instead of focusing on something that I can't do. So, um, yeah, I feel, I don't want to call it ableist, but I, I, I think it's not promoting independence and it's not helping that disabled person. I like to call it ableist adjacent. It's ableist adjacent. <laughs> not necessarily, but it's pretty close. It's close, but, but yeah, really, because the whole idea of doing things like this for disabled people is to, so they can have their independence to be successful in the world, like a non-disabled person can, because they don't have the barriers we do. So almost the UDL learning model creates a different barrier, essentially. So uh, I want to say universal design is meant to in theory benefit every student whether they're disabled or not in the classroom but just like everything that we use to build and promote equity 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 and inclusion we fail miraculously because guess who was not included in creating the udl model disabled Disabled people people. Because if there was, things would have been taken into account for, like, all of the complaints I've had about it today. Like, it has a great idea, but it fails disabled people and continues to give abled students and abled teachers that additional advantage that they already have in addition to their abled privilege, but, like, as usual, disabled students do get left behind in this model of learning that's, you know, supposed to be all about equity and inclusion. Equity and inclusion. <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah. I'm, and that, and that's what we talk about a lot, how if we're like trying to create things for disabled people, maybe we should let disabled people I mean, I can't tell you how many accessible bathrooms I've been in. And I'm like, who the hell designed this? Not a disabled person, that's for sure. So, you know, so yeah. So the same thing with the UDL learning model and all this stuff. Um, You need to include some disabled people and maybe we can progress it further. Okay, everyone. I hope you learned a lot about universal design and universal design learning and... um, Stay tuned. One day soon, we'll be talking about something else. Have a nice time. This has been an episode of This Crip Life by DIY Abled. If you like this, please consider donating at DIYabled.com. Music by Prepee. Don't forget, disabled people are people. People.